Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week, I thought I'd sit down and do a solo podcast. Uh, I've had an amazing late season here, and uh, I wanted to share some of my stories with you, stories of buddies, and then also work in like these tips and tactics that are fresh in the forefront of my mind since I've been hunting this late season. And I think these tactics will go a long ways in helping you with your late season hunting, but I also think that you can use these skills or use these these tips and tactics moving forward to 2021. And so, uh, you know, I, I think about hunting, I think about hunting nonstop, but uh, boy, when I'm in hunting season and I'm going hard, I, I just pick up these, these tidbits that that I don't think about, you know, when I'm sitting at home and on my couch or when I'm, you know, it, it's only while I'm hunting, I think about these things. So, uh, I think it'll be a great podcast. We'll get this thing rolling. I just want to thank my sponsors. Um, I really appreciate these sponsors putting their name behind the brand of Eastman's Elevated and behind me and showing support for the podcast. And I really appreciate you guys checking out these companies uh, when you're in the market for new gear. They just build some amazing gear. So impressed by them. So I want to thank Everly Stock. Uh, check out their website right now. They have sales on all their packs to December 4th. Uh, check out Matthews. Uh, their new V3 just launched. Just this amazing bow. And I've been in love with their their bows, the Verdicts, the VXR, and now this V3. Uh, just amazing shooting for giving bows. Check those out. Uh, Sig Sauer Optics. Just building amazing high-end optics for a mid-range price. So impressed by them. Uh, Sitka Gear. Sitka um, builds the best technical mountaineering gear out there. Uh, I just love their layering systems and, and their improvement and evolution in their gear to build the best hunting gear out there. Uh, check out Sportsman's Warehouse. Uh, you get to go in and touch and feel the name brands. Try them on. Make sure it's right for you. Great, knowledgeable staff in there. Uh, Swagger Bipods. Uh, the best bipods and shooting sticks on the market that are built with an intelligent design to, to keep tracking your target. Uh, Zamberlin Boots. Uh, building the best boots on the planet. Uh, just uh, the, the highest quality and... And the only pair of boots that I think I've owned that have kept waterproof. Uh, just amazing boots and shoes. I really like their shoes. I use those a bunch this season. Uh, check out High Mountain Seasonings for jerky seasonings. Onyx Maps. Uh, for they, they just launched like this new 3D imaging that's just amazing on Onyx Maps. Um, and then check out uh, Mountain Archery Fest. Uh, they're getting staged up for their 2021. They put on an amazing event. So I just want to thank those companies and thank you guys for showing your support. I really appreciate it. Right, solo podcast. See if I remember how to do this. Man, it's been it's just a wild late season. Um, gosh, I finished up my elk season and then... I always hold on to my Montana deer tag for this late season for this rut hunt. And um, I just absolutely love it. It's so fun. And so, um, yeah, I set out this late season. I uh, wanted to kill a good, heavy, older deer. Uh, a, lot of this place takes, a lot of this takes place during general rifle season. It's with my bow. And, it, 
You know, it's um, I always have a hard time kind of describing this. And I was putting a film together this year and I tried to ask my buddy Dylan Ness or my buddy Dan Heverin, like, why do you choose to hunt with a bow and make it more difficult on yourself? And I've thought about this question a lot for myself as well. And I just love keeping committed to the bow. I love getting close and the thrilling action. It, it makes me way better to keep in this bow hunting mindset when I'm doing stocks, when I'm closing in on animals, uh, always thinking about the wind. And it's, you know, all of this hunting is challenging and all of it's fun. Um, I've just fallen in love with the bow and arrow and it's what drives me. It's what drives me to, to spend the money, to go on these trips, uh, to backpack these long miles. It, it's just, it's what keeps me up at night. It's, it's what motivates me. It's what keeps me out on the trails doing my running. It's what keeps me out on the range shooting my bow and getting better in this constant improvement. And, you know, I made this decision way back in 2006 or, um, that, that, you know, I, I wanted to just hunt with a bow and really work on improving my skill set. So when I do get in these bow seasons, these, you know, the elk during the rut that I can capitalize and be at my very best. When I do get on these high country mule deer hunts and I find a giant 200 inch deer, I can be at my best and give myself the best chance at killing this animal. And through keeping committed to a bow and arrow and hunting this late rifle season with a bow, you know, I'll give up shooting a, a bigger buck with my rifle to, to shoot one with my bow. It's just so exciting and thrilling to me to get close and be making moves and, um, and, and a chance to bend my limbs back and harvest an animal with my bow. I just absolutely love it. So uh, sometimes it's tough for me to articulate why I take the tougher path or the more challenging path, but um, I just live and die behind that bow and arrow. Uh, I love it and I've committed to it. And I just don't give it a second thought. There's never once during this season where, you know, I wish I would have had a rifle with me. Uh, for me, it's all about getting close with a bow. And I, I'm just, um, I'm super, super fortunate that the Montana allows me to hunt with my bow during this rifle season. Um, so, so, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate there that I can be able to take part in it and hunt with my bow. And, and really, I just take it on as a challenge. And, and um, there's more guys out there um, um, hunting with rifles and, and the hunting pressure is more. So I just separate myself further. I just get back further and I just find my own experience where, you know, I can be hunting these rutting bucks and it feels like I'm the only person back there. And so... Man, I mean, some of these backpack trips I've had this late season are as good as any early season, as good as any high country hunt I've ever done. I just, I love this country. And I, I hunt like a lot of the, the badlands, a lot of the breaks for mule deer. And I, I just like these, these foothills or these rolling coolies. And it, it challenges me as well. I mean, they're not big mountains where you're getting 5,000 feet of vert a day. But it's these coolies and canyons that you're climbing up. And it's also this this real gnarly, aggressive country, too, with all the the um, sandstone and mud. And um, the breaks just kind of washes itself away and builds these really steep, gnarly canyons. I mean, I've been on some of the steepest stuff this late season as I was the whole season. And uh, the populations are really good. And then they just grow these good muley bucks. And being able to hunt a species during the rut like hunting elk during the rut is such a special experience. And the majority of you guys know what that's like. 
uh, hunting mule deer during the rut is just as special. I mean, they don't bugle, but, um, you know, they let their guard down. They travel country. These big bucks that run this tight program all year long, they let their guard down for this rut. And so to be able to capitalize on it and be out there and have such a long season, man, it's just amazing. Absolutely amazing. So, you know, I closed my elk season with the best season I've ever had. You know, I had um, intentions of hunting antelope and trying to get it done during the rifle season. And I, I did get out for a couple days, went and checked out a new area. Um, just wasn't able to close on an antelope this year. So first year in 13 years, I haven't arrowed an antelope, but I'll be back better next year. Um, I'm going to dedicate more time, more time in the early season and really get after these antelope and try to kill my best antelope to date. And, uh, you know, it'll help motivate me here for the next year. So uh, I guess to just start at the beginning here and kind of go through it and then talk about, you know, some of these tips and tactics that are really helping me be consistently successful. So uh, I started the season, finished up my elk season, and then um, were able to get Katie, my youngest daughter, uh, all set up for the youth season. We're fortunate in Montana that they give a two-day youth season for kids that are in between 10 and 16 to get out before the general rifle hunt. Uh, so kind of they can get first crack at those deer and give them a good opportunity at success. And uh, so this is great. I teamed up with Katie for an adventure hunt last year, and this year she was pumped to go again. And and uh, so she's got all her hunter safety done, and we went through that. And then it's just important to work with these kids and give them the right skill set. So working on her shooting positions, working on squeezing the trigger, uh, working on live round practice, uh, being able to get her to shoot. And, um, you know, I... Um, uh, I, I felt good about her chances, you know, about, uh, harvesting a deer. She's a good shot. She just listens to every instruction that I give her and takes it to heart. These girls learn so well. They're so intelligent. Not that guys don't, but, um, at, le- at least for me, sometimes guys' egos get in the way of things where, uh, my girls just, um, you know, they take in and listen to everything I have to say. So we started off with Katie's, uh, early season hunt, and this is some pre-rut action, almost before the pre-rut it's like late October Um, but we headed down into one of my favorite spots and started glassing around and turning up deer and she really had her mind set on killing a three-pointer better she's she's killed a spike and then a a two-by-one last year and kind of got her first couple deer under her belt and she really wanted to set her sights higher on a good three-pointer four-point and she passed up you know, some decent looking bucks to try to find that three by three she was looking for. And, um, so we, we've started spotting some deer and, um, spotting some bucks. The bucks were kind of bachelor herded up and, uh, we spotted a pretty good group of bucks with a nice four point in it. And we made a play and way across this big Canyon. And we went hiking. we caught good weather this year. You know, last year she froze her little butt off. It was like zero degrees. This year we caught a little bit nicer weather where it was, uh, 50, 60 degrees, maybe 30 degrees at night. So it made it uh, way more comfortable to cover miles and kind of hike around in this country. But yeah, we found a good buck. We only had two days. It's a two day use season. And then, uh, the season isn't open for the weekend. It's still open. It's still open bow season. Uh, but it's, um, closed for general rifles. So she gets two days. So we went pretty hard and finally ended up turning up this nice buck, nice four point, And, um, closed in on it and uh gosh we're trying to get her 
You know, I, I think my girls can shoot and are good out to about 200 yards, but really trying to get them into that 150 range and in. Uh, we've got our 7MMO8 low kick shells. Uh, we've got, um, we use that swagger bipod that disconnects with that quick disconnect so she can get really steady. And then she really fell in love with like prone shooting this year, like being able to lay down, hold on, how steady she could become. And she just got comfortable with that shooting position. So that's what we were aiming for. Uh, we were able to crawl in on this buck. There were other deer around. There was a three point down below us, um, a smaller one. And uh, she kind of set her sights on this bigger four point. So we had to kind of work our way by that. And then we we had to crawl in the last 50 yards and we got her set up. And it was right at about her max range. It would, we're looking at 175 yard shot or so. So I put her on the gun. Uh, I think we dry fired once on the buck. And then things started to blow up. Um, I don't know if those upper deer kind of caught us. One second here. I don't know if that the the upper deer kind of caught us or I'm not sure what happened. Maybe that lower buck kind of alerted things to our presence. But all of a sudden the buck we want jumps out of his bed. And he's standing there and we're trying to get on him, get on the right deer. And he just wouldn't give us quite the right angle. And there was actually, there was two bucks in there we'd shoot. Uh, so the one that stood up out of his bed we were originally going to shoot, he just wouldn't give us the right angle. And then this nice four-point walked over broadside. And I said, Katie, if you can see that one, he's sitting broadside. And it's a good shot. And, um, yes, yeah, she put it on him. Prone rest and able to put a good shot on him. And uh, he humped up good and went down the hill. And, and um, God, it was a done deal. <laughs> so cool to to be able to share what I love with um, my kids and my daughter. And like you say, they just take in the whole experience, the sunsets, sunrises, the camping out, uh, good camp food, uh, probably more sugar than they should eat. But, it, you know, we get some good snacks so they can fuel themselves and have some good snacks in the pack and cook dinner together and just the whole deal of just camping out, being able to share what I truly love with my kids and, um, you know, have Katie help me with the – uh, the butchering process and the breaking down and the pack out, uh, having him take photos and, um, you know, just take in the whole experience. It's, uh, it, it it's a blessing that, that all of us get to participate in this public lands, uh, uh, endeavor, you know, where we get to, to hunt this renewable resource for deer and elk. It's just so amazing. I, I love it so much that us average guys can do this. And, and I love it so much that we can take our kids and show them a super adventure as as a, a young adults. You know, she's 12 years old, turns 13 here in a couple months. Um, she's just a really good kid, and it's fun to be able to share that with her. And so um, she's having a heck of a season, heck of a basketball season. Uh, had a good volleyball season. She's just got that fire underneath her. You know, she'll accomplish anything in life she wants to, but she's got that determination and um, toughness. So really fun to team up with her and share an adventure. And it's fun just to spend quality time one-on-one -on -one with her, like be able to have these in-depth conversations. You know, we got a seven-hour drive out there and a seven-hour drive back and then all the time together while we're out there. But just team up almost as as equals or as friends, you know, um, just means the world to me. And then these in-depth conversations of just trying to guide these kids into being adults and give them the right information to make good decisions. Um, it's just amazing. And I, I feel so fortunate, but 
um, yeah, able to close. Katie with her best buck to date, and uh, we got it home and butchered up. We hunted for her for a couple days, and then, um, yeah, I caught an extra day of bow hunting on the end there, and, uh, you know, we, we were over for the weekend, and so I had my bow. So, yeah, then we were able to hunt a little bit for myself, and I did spot a couple four points that were bedded in a pretty good spot, but they just weren't quite that older age class or that next level, and while I would have liked the arrow one with Katie there, I thought, well... I'm going to hold off. Let's just keep kind of searching. So we glassed around and I was also, I had my antelope tag down there at that point. And so trying to, you know, maybe turn up a good antelope for a stock. And we did see one, but you know, at the time when we saw it, we were hunting for her, her deer and I didn't want to take away from that only having a couple days. So I passed on the opportunity, but, um, great trip, turned back and got home and started, uh, scheming for, for my late season. And, um, I've been more of a weekend warrior here in this late season. I put on some great miles and great elevation, but you know, I've had to had to get to work here. We've had a couple homes we're trying to get off the ground, get our foundations in, make sure that I've got work for myself and for my crew for the winter. And um so I've had to work pretty hard on those things and so I haven't been able to to take the season or, you know, take a week or whatever. I've just been able to add a day or two onto the weekend be real efficient with my time, making sure I'm getting everything done. And then even during the weekend, answering emails and phone calls, but I, I really don't mind. I've had a heck of a season. And, and if I got to give up a little bit in the late season to get these projects going and make sure things are, are, are moving along, you know, effectively and efficiently and make sure I'm doing my part as a, you know, as a builder and as a human being, you know, doing what I say I'm going to do and, and, uh, making sure, you know, I build a good house for these people. So I've had to kind of be a weekend warrior, but I tell you, I am so effective and efficient in these three to five days or three, four days, man, oh man. I mean, it's a lot of drive time and I've spent a lot of nights traveling, but it just seems like I'm all in. I've, I spend a lot of the nights driving and then I get there, load up my pack and I'm hiking for half the night to make it in there so I can be in a good spot for morning and same with the end of the trip, you know, getting out late and having to drive home, man, I, we timed this one trip. Well, I'll get into it, but God, the icy roads on this one trip, as bad as I've ever seen. It actually had me contemplating getting studs for my truck. Um, it was gnarly. I'll I'll get into it here. I, um, we'll kind of just run through these hunts and, and how they happen and, and, uh, kind of the highs and lows and try to give you guys some, some tips and tactics. And, you know, part of my late season game, a lot of this is that my e-scouting game, like, um, you know, and I, I have the benefit that I've hunted out there for 15 years and I've spent so many days hunting out there with my bow, uh, finding these locations where the deer populations are good and where these bucks can grow up. So, you know, a lot of it's previous knowledge, but every year I'm hunting new locations, new areas, new spots, try to branch out and just further my learning. But, um, you know, there's so many different areas out and through here, you know, that, that, you know, what I'm looking for on e-scouting and, and really there's hundreds and hundreds of miles of public ground. And so, you know, a lot of times our truck is our best tool to be able to get around on these areas and, and be able to learn them, to be able to find populations. But that being said, everybody nowadays has a set of binos and a scope they can put out the window. And so the biggest, most mature bucks or the biggest populations are where that you can't glass to, you got to hike into. And so I like finding these places, a good deer populations. I like scouting from my truck and traveling, 
you know, it's different places, but I've, I've spent so much time doing that over there that I have, I kind of have my, my areas that I target, my areas that I know good populations are in. So I don't have to do a lot of that work anymore. Now I can pretty much just travel with my truck down to the area and then go from there. But, you know, even these late season, they just never go as planned. There's like always these hurdles and challenges that come up. It's what I heard a good quote the other day that I'm going to screw it up like I screw up every good quote. But uh, I heard this quote the other day that it doesn't turn into an adventure until things go wrong or something of that nature. Okay. That isn't the exact quote. Okay. So it wasn't a great quote or it is a great quote. I can't remember what it is, but it's something about how, uh, you know, it's not an adventure until things start going wrong. You know, then it's a true adventure and you're so right. Like, um, man, it never ever goes as planned. It just, it just never does. It's constantly just adapting to the conditions on all these hunts. Um, the, my late season, no different, whether it's cold weather, whether it's muddy roads, wh- you know, whatever the, the case is, it's always going to be challenges. So I start planning for my next trip and along with this e-scouting. So this e-scouting, what I'm looking for is I'm looking, you know, there's places that are marked wildernesses and I, I love these places. You know, that there's going to be no ATVs, no vehicles. It, it's all foot or horseback, mostly foot. And so, you know, this gives me a good advantage because I'm good at covering miles and and backpacking and good at getting in these areas. But the deal is, is everybody can see that on a map that that's marked wilderness. So all the hardcore hunters that want to get away from people and, and backpack in gravitate towards these areas. So what I've learned over the years is that, you know, some of these areas that are primarily you know, not road hunters, but guys that hunt from their trucks a lot, guys that day hike, um, you know, into areas, you know, they can only make it back so far. So if I hunt these areas, like this 300 square mile area, that's got all this public ground, but the majority, 95, 99% of hunters in there are hunting from a vehicle or day hiking, I'd say 99 point something or hunting, you know, then there's these vast tracts of land that nobody gets to. So it's just like finding these areas that are roadless. And it doesn't even have to be roadless because here's the deal is that the private property in Montana cuts off a lot of these roads. So, you know, you can drive a county road, but if there's like a two track that leaves a county road and it leaves on private, you cannot drive through it. If it crosses through private, you cannot drive through it. So like through my e-scouting, I'm able to figure out which roads I can drive and which roads I can't. And a lot of these roads that I can't drive, nobody else can drive as well. Now, somebody may have private permission where they can cross that private property and drive that road. You know, who knows? Maybe even some guys cheat and um, drive a road they're not supposed to. You know, that's I don't really concern myself too much with that. But I look for these areas that are like wilderness areas. That, that are just created through vastness or through lack of access. And so I love finding like state and BLM or national forests that I can access into and almost hike to the far side of it or where it kisses the road and so you can access it and then it opens up back into 20 or 30 square miles of public ground that have no roadways into it. Like that's the best wilderness I could ever hope for. And so these are the areas that I'm trying to find and trying to locate and research are these areas that, you know, people can't see from a roadway. They can't glass it from a road with a scope. Um, you know, they can't drive in there. All these roads are closed access. And so then you, 
you know, people are forced to hike in there. And when people hike in, you know, if you're day hunting, you can only go so far and then you've got to come back to camp. And I find, you know, about two hours is about the max somebody will go. Um, and so if I can go past that, like I can get into these areas that, that I just have all to myself. And some of the hunting I saw this year back in some of these areas that I, you know, that are wilderness, not wilderness areas, but my wilderness areas has just been insane. And I mean, some of these places, it's like going in Jurassic Park, you know, nobody has hunted there for years. And so like this one area I go into, I went into and I, I took, um, I took my buddy Dylan in there. Um, man, it's like Jurassic Park. Just the bucks get to grow up and big and heavy, older, five years old or older. And then also like just walking around, there's just sheds laying everywhere. I think I found eight or 10 sheds in there. Some, some big old crusty muleys, heavy ones, you know, and there's just sheds laying around. You know, when there's sheds laying around that nobody hunts there because most hunters pick up sheds if they find them. And then there's the whole shed hunting culture, you know, which go out to hunt sheds every year. And so if I can find these places where these sheds are laying, it just feels like it's untouched and untapped. And that's the place where I can be effective with my bow hunting. Like I got to get into a location where these deer aren't getting chased around with guys with rifles shooting at them, pressuring them. You know, those those deer are on high alert. They're tougher to get on. And then the competition level. So I got to find these these backcountry spots, these oases uh, of, of public land that hold these bucks and allow them to grow up. And I also find that big bucks will rut in these grounds year after year, and that's how they grow to be older bucks as they don't get shot with rifles when they're three years old or four years old or five years old. They're able to grow up. And uh, so those are the types of spots that I'm looking for. And so that's exactly, I took Dylan into this spot. We had a uh, three or four days, something like that, weekend trip. And, um, of course, it starts out with challenges. Get down there, and um, I have this access road that gets me in quite a few miles, and then we jump off that, and we're going to backpack in. And we get to the access road, and it's rained recently down in there. And the whole road is mudded up. And so, um, you know, we think about it, and it's like, man, do we do we hang out and wait for the road to dry out and then try to get back in there, or do we just, like, load up our backpacks? And like I told him, I said, you know, yeah, this is a roaded country, but if nobody can drive this road in here and we backpack in, it'll probably be pretty good hunting. And so uh, we just load up, and we start packing in there in the, in, in the middle of the night, and it's mucky and muddy all the way through, and we're pretty happy we made a decision not to drive the truck in. I mean... Man, I'm always pushing the limits of a pickup truck. You get stuck out there in gumbo, that Montana gumbo, you can't move anywhere. And I've been stuck on, I've been on this road when it's gnarly before. So, you know, I kind of know better and um, we make the smart decision. And so in the muck and the mud, we backpack a bunch of miles in there. Uh, you know, we've been backpacking uh, for quite a ways and I, d- I do have the teepee. And, and the nice thing in this cold weather is that teepee, like you, you, it gets too cold to cold camp and I've done it. <laughs> I've done it with my pup tent or bivy sack, but once it starts getting down to, to zeros and you can hardly keep warm even by a campfire, you know? And so that teepee with a stove is a game changer for me. It's a, a late season. I'm using, um, the seek outside the Cimarron and then I hope I said that right. And then the the stove and and they're not a sponsor of the podcast, but a great company. It builds great products. And so uh, I got this stove and this teepee set up. And what it allows me it has, it allows me 
to be a late season backpack hunter. And uh, so I can backpack this in. The The teepee weighs three pounds. The stove weighs three pounds. Perfect for two guys and their gear. And you can split the weight. And uh, uh, it's a, it's just the perfect setup for it. And so we backpack late into the night. And it's not that cold that night. And so we decide we're just going to throw out our, our, our mattresses and our, our sleeping bags and just sleep in the sage and then wake up in the morning and we're hunting. And it's kind of nice. I've spent quite a few nights this year when the forecast is good um, sleeping this way. So it's just you throw out your stuff. It's easy to pick up in the morning. It's in your backpack and you're back hunting with, you know, I'm back hunting with my pack on my back traveling at first light. And so we lay out in the sage and um, we get all set up there and kind of got tucked out of the wind and it's real windy that night. And then we get laid down, we're getting ready to go to sleep and it's kind of late, you know, been driving all night and then um, backpacked in and then, um, heck, I look at my forecast on my phone and the forecast has changed. Now they're calling for rain to come in in the, the middle of the night. So I, I tell Dylan and... If we made the decision, we go, well, we better, we better find a spot, set up the teepee, you know, that way we get a decent night's sleep and then, um, you know, we can hit it in the morning. So, uh, we restaged, set up the tent, sleep that night, high winds, just blowing everything around 20, 30 mile an hour winds. Um, yeah, wake up in the morning, just start covering country with our packs on our backs and this is the early pre-rut, so beginning of November, and I've seen decent rutting this time of year, and it's not like every group of does has a buck with it, but eventually you find a group of does that do, that does. And um, really, we were even pre-rut from that. Um, these early dates seemed like the rut was a little bit later this year, and uh, I don't think we saw one buck rutting you know, this whole trip. But what we did is we just hunted with our packs on our backs, hunted with our camp, and just put on a tremendous amount of miles and elevation and would just keep cruising and keep glassing our way through country. And I talk a lot about master vantage points and things, but, um, you know, and master vantage points are good. Like you get to a master vantage and it's good to sit down, you know, if it's middle of the day, I'll sit there for a couple of hours and pick things apart and give those deer a chance to stand up. If it's first light or last light, you know, if I'm not seeing deer in, 20, 30 minutes, like I just don't have the right angle on it. Or, you know, it's almost like I got to move and I got to run this mobile vantage point, which I run a lot of the times where I just hunt my way through country and everything new I can see, I throw my binos on. Every good vantage point I get to, I'll sit down for a few minutes and glass around. And then I'm just, I'm just moving my way through country, just putting on miles and just glassing as I go. And we saw a lot of deer. We picked out a lot of deer. Um, We actually found a pretty nice four point and um we looked at him and thought he was pretty heavy and looking from a long ways away heat waves and things and this is towards the middle of the day i think we found this one and um so dylan's first up on the stock and we look at him first dylan passes him and then we go over the hill and we start looking or looking over another hillside and dylan goes you know that was a pretty good buck he said i think i'd be happy with that buck if i rode him I said, yeah, man, I'd, I'd love to go for him. Like we had him in a good spot. He was by himself. And so we went back, checked out. That buck was still there and uh, we made a play for him. Game on. We got all the way over there and up and had a good approach. We had to work around some other deer, got around those and then got to where we were 200 yards where we we're going to do our final approach. And we see that buck there and we throw up our binos. He goes, what do you think? And I think, yeah, it looks pretty good. He's a good four point. 
And then I, I go, you want me to throw the scope on him and just make sure? And he goes, yeah, and I throw the scope on him. And it's just not quite the buck we're looking for. You know, he's just not quite old enough, not quite enough mass. So Dylan passes him. I pass him. And we the, the search continues. I, I was really impressed at his discipline, too. Um, yeah, it's tough to pass a four point buck public land during general rifle with our bows. And, uh, we're going, no, we're going to look for a bigger one. Uh, so yeah, I just, uh, he's, he's got great discipline. It wasn't the buck he was looking for. It wasn't the buck he was going to be happy with. Same with me. And so we left that buck and we just keep putting on the miles and, um, you know, we're doing like 10 to 15 miles per day, I think. And, um, just cruising and then we'll camp wherever we end up. And so we just keep backpacking and we use these nights to really travel country. Like, um, gosh, the light, the nights are so long. You just drive yourself insane. The, the, um, so, uh, the nights are so long, so you got to keep yourself up as long as you can, but it's cold. So you get in that teepee and then you lay down on that mattress and you're trying to stay awake. And then all of a sudden you're out and it's seven thirty or eight o'clock. I don't know if we quite went to bed that early, but there was one night, I think we fell asleep about eight thirty or so. And most of these nights I try to hike deep into the night. So, you know, you got something to do and then get back there. And we had the best backpacking food, God, for, for backpacking food. I'm pretty dialed. Like I don't have the the mountain houses there anymore, or you know, it's just not. Um, I've eaten enough of them where I just um, I don't like all the extra sodium. I like eating real food and how real food um, makes me feel, and then um, just the the taste and the whole. Like I'm just over those things, and so like I haven't used them for years. But I had on this menu, I had some jerky that I had just made up, um, and. Uh, some really good seasoned jerky, that uh, high mountain seasoning. But I, I did um, some jerky and then, um, gosh, one night we did uh, my General Sao's noodles where it's uh, some of the Japanese noodles, some some sauce, and then um, jerky that's kind of uh, cut into small little pieces. And then I hydrate it all. It's like steak and the noodles. It's so good. Oh, and I had uh, dehydrated peppers that I had done that I threw in with that as well. And then another night we had... Um, burritos i just did like instant rice in a bag and then same thing with the jerky and small strips and peppers and then i got a small container that had salsa in it that i oh god it was so good so we ate we ate pretty good on the trip but um yeah so we just laid out that tent just kept traveling miles and and the nights are so long um the one night we we fell asleep oh my god i dream so weird and dreams are wild because Dreams like are attached to your emotions as well. Like um, what you feel in your dream, you feel in real life. Like you wake up weirded out. And in the one night, I dreamt so weird all night long. It was just crazy. And Dylan had the same thing. So I don't know if it was lack of oxygen or just sleeping outside in the cold or I don't know what it was, but uh, just dreamt so weird all night long. Gosh, and I woke up and I told Dylan about my dream. I, I was just having this crazy. I can't even remember the beginning of it. Oh, it was, um, yeah, it was, um, this guy I'd done work for a long time ago, Javier, and I had his truck and I had to move his, he got in a wreck and it was a hit and run and he took off and then I had to move his, it just got so weird. And then I went into this, um, this restaurant and it was like a, like a black owned restaurant and they had chicken sandwiches in there. And I remember I got, uh, he asked me if I wanted horseradish on my chicken sandwich, and I, I was 
too scared to say no. I just said yes because that was like the norm or whatever. And oh god, it's 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 so weird. It's weird me even telling you guys about it. But we had such a laugh over it, you know, sharing our dreams uh, after that happened. But it is so weird how your emotions are tied to your dreams, and you wake up and you really feel those emotions. Like if you have a loss or you're sad or uh, you're happy and. It's weird, like hunting dreams always twist on me too. Like I'll be hunting and I'll shoot a deer and all of a sudden, you know, the the woods turn into a grocery store and I, I've just shot a human or, I, you know, just, just the weirdest stuff happens to me. But uh, anyways, just the trippiest dreams. I don't, I don't know. Maybe it was those noodles that night. Uh, uh, maybe, it, maybe it was our water. Maybe we poisoned ourselves. Who knows? But just the trippiest dreams. But I had so much fun with that guy. Dylan is just a great bow hunter and is all in all the time. And so we just kept backpacking and kept traveling. And eventually we got into like like where the bucks were just living. So they weren't rutting yet. They weren't even staging for pre-rut traveling by themselves. They were traveling in bachelor crews. And I guess we saw some solo bucks too, but not really starting to travel yet looking for does. Like just kind of held up. And it's actually a good time to kill them if you can find them. Uh, they just run tight programs that time of year, but we started turning up some bucks, and uh, in the end there, we got a couple stocks, and we're dang close. Um, Dylan had a great stock on this buck. Um, he was going to shoot it. God, it was a, a, a great buck. It was a 2 by 4 <laughs> but a wildly large 2 by 4 Like the four side, if it would have matched, it would have been a 180-inch buck. But instead, he just had this giant two on the one side. But, you know, the thing's 28, 30 wide, heavy horns. And um, Dylan really liked him. And uh, we had some bucks over the other side. I had one really tall four-point I liked. And then this one whitetail-shaped horn buck. Uh, there was an older buck as well that I liked. And so uh, we thought, you know, first one that gives us a good chance, we're going to go for him. And Dylan's buck gave us a good chance kind of bedding in the straw. And so we made a play for him made a great approach on him and um got down in there we didn't quite know where the bucks were but we just kept slipping into this gulch with a good wind and uh all of a sudden it blew up there was more bucks in there than we had thought we had seen two bucks and i think there was like six or seven in there and um they just started to blow up and actually we had got too close to one of the bucks and didn't realize he was there like 15 yards blew up that one and then bucks were just running everywhere and and um we didn't get a chance. We saw Dylan's buck bust out of there and um, weren't able to get him. And so, you know, back at the drawing board, spent another night of trippy dreams and good dinner. And um, and then the next morning I found this tall four that I really liked. Dark horned, um, just a great buck. He was by himself feeding. And this was our, our last morning in there. And then we had all day we had to backpack out to make it to the truck by night to then be able to drive home all night. Uh, we were way in the heck back in there. And, um, but so we had to hunt him aggressive. It wasn't like we could bet him down and then make a play or maybe get him in the afternoon. Like we had to make something happen. And so we hunted him pretty aggressive and in the final approach into him jumped a cow elk or a cow and a calf that blew up out of there and kind of blew up our scenario. Then the buck ended up being down below us and farther than we wanted because the elk spooked him. He was on high alert and, and didn't pan out, but we got a couple plays and, and, um, had a good trip and hiked all the way back out of there and made it back to the trucks and um, all night driving home, tired driving home. At least the roads were good. And so, um, yeah, cruise back. And then the next weekend, I've got my buddy Dan. And um, 
I really wanted Dan to be successful this season. He went with me on all these early hunts, had that tough elk hunt, and then he got busy. You know, he had some family stuff come up that he just had to do, like during elk season or during primetime September. And so he never saw the payoff of the season like I did, you know, as I was able to go back and kill that Idaho buck. And, um, you know, Dan had some close calls and some good stocks this season, but um, he'd killed an antelope buck. Uh, but, but, um, I was really pulling for his success and, uh, uh, really wanted to take him in and, and show him this, this, um, this area, this backpacking area and, and really have him get into the rut. I've been trying to talk him into this rut hunt forever. And Dan usually kills his deer early. And so he hasn't been able to go with me on this hunt. You know, we've, we've hunted rutted deer together, rutting deer and, um, some different states and some different things and, and in Montana as well, but we just usually don't get a chance to connect in this late season, usually because Dan already has his buck, but this year he still had a buck tag. And so I was pumped to hook up with my, my buddy and go for him. So another backpacking trip. And, um, so we head down and drive throughout the night again, leave in the middle of the night, backpacking in and, uh, just got us kind of turned around in the bottom. It's, it's wild. Like, uh, you know, I know some of these, the spot we were going into, I had crossed and I knew how to, how to navigate through there. But yeah, somehow in the dark, it just gets a little bit more difficult. So I'm a good night navigator and, and, uh, always get to where I'm going. Uh, but, but this night we dropped down in the bottom and I brought us up like this little draw that I thought was the big draw, but it wasn't, it was like a little micro draw, got us way up on the hill. And so anyways, I, I created I, I just gave us some more exercises all <laughs> just uh, gave us a, another chance to stretch the legs and hike some more elevation and some more miles. And it was right on the start of our trip. So it wasn't a big deal. And it, you know, it, it wasn't like we were lost or anything. We just uh, a little turned around, a little extra walking. But anyways, we got through it, packed for half the night, laid out. I think we um, slept under the stars that night, but we did end up setting up the teepee the next couple nights or whatever. And, um, these are good rut dates. So now we're approaching that next weekend, the 10th of November, right around those dates. And, and, uh, actually the rut is a little slow seeing a lot of does by themselves. Um, bucks is still grouped up a little bit and, uh, but they're starting to rut. The bucks are starting to go solo, starting to travel country. And then, you know, about every five groups of does or, just bucks starting to hang with the does more mature bucks starting to hang with the does and so it's starting and um so we jump on the vantage point that morning don't see anything and so just start traveling with our camps on our backs again just putting on miles and elevation i think we did i think i did more miles with dan than i did the weekend before we crushed it we were just um we were hiking a bunch and just keep moving, keep glassing. And so, you know, that, that mobile vantage point, especially in this like broken open country, it's like, you can't see it all from one spot. You're missing so much of it. So you just got to hike through it and, and strategically plan to hike ridgelines. Of course, keep your silhouette off the ridgelines and then poke up and glass. And it's an important part. Like you have to see those deer first. If they see you before you see them, the gig's up. And so that's why, you know, glassing is so effective for master vantage points and things, but it's also so effective as you're moving from ridgelines and just any new exposed country picking it apart. And it's good that my buddies are so good with their glass. Dylan is so good with his glass. Dan is so good with his glass. And so, you know, they're picking out half the deer 
and and I'm picking out half, and um, we kind of keep each other honest, and you're just trying not to not to spook anything or spook it before it sees us. And so we get and master vantage point, don't see anything, start cruising country, and then um, pretty soon um, I can't remember who spotted it, but spots a a buck up on the hillside. With that buck, there's two other bucks. So there's three bucks up on the hillside, and the one's a really good one. Good tall four-point, heavy dark horns. And so we make a plan, and he beds. And he beds. He's just in his morning bed, and he's in kind of this open stuff, but we're not that far away. And so we kind of look at it. The winds are right, and we just think, God, I think we can get in on that bedded buck or at least have a chance at it. And so we went for it and tried to tuck up those coolies and those draws. We could see that buck bedded on this little ridge line and tried to kind of work in on him. And then by the time we get there, he's gone. And um, don't see those other two bucks, or I guess we did see a two point up above us that was with those, was with that group or whatever. And then there was another one horn four point that I've seen like three different times. He's a pretty good one horn four point. Like his one side, I'm, I mean, he probably only scores 80 inches, but it's a good one-horned uh, uh, buck. He's got a good four on that one side. Hopefully, he grows the other side next year and makes it through the season, and hopefully it's not some genetic mishap or something. But he's only got one horn, but he was running with him, and then this this dark horn four. Uh, we get to his first bed, or we get to where he's supposed to be, and he's gone. And so we just start searching for him, and we start walking the direction he went and glassing along the way, and then... You know, pretty soon around the corner and over and up and up and over and pretty soon I spot that buck and he's walking. So we freeze and and then we're just playing cat and mouse as he kind of works around these ridge lines and he goes over and disappears and then we try to catch that spot and we go up to that spot like he's there just thinking he's going to bed in there and he's not there. And so we, we work to the top of that ridge line in glass and we don't see him and then all of a sudden just catch him just going over the next ridge line and so we played this cat and mouse with this buck for a couple hours which is so fun and thrilling with my buddy with his bow I'm trying to film I tried to put together a late season film for this um late season rut hunt this buck hunt and um so pumped uh, to be able to release this to you guys but that's what me and Dylan were doing me and Dan and so we're kind of filming each other on stocks and trying to capture the whole experience and camping out in the whole late season deal. And uh, so we just keep trailing this buck and we watch him go over this last hill again. Now we've been trailing this buck forever and, you know, just me and Dan talk and go, gosh, hopefully he just holds up over that next hill. You know, all we can do is just go over there and see if we can find him. And so we we cruised to that next hill that we saw him last go over and he's starting to be more cover where he might bed down and we just step over that hill and come to the top and then all of a sudden we bounce a couple does out of there. So there's does right over the top. And, and I, you know, I'm thinking and Dan's thinking, I, I told Dan, I said, that, bu- that buck's probably here with these does because it was right over top of the ridge and just hold tight. And so two does go up and they kind of work up in bow range, look back at us, not too spooked or anything. And uh, they kind of work over and then a couple more squirt out the back end and then a couple more and they just kind of keep coming out of this draw for like the next five minutes. And so we just stay still and stay put and don't move and just waiting and we can't see that buck and we're kind of thinking like maybe he rounded the hill to the right but let's just stay with these does and see if he shows up. And just about then a doe squirts out from kind of below us and right up the hill and right behind her is that buck. (laughs) Just nice big dark horn four. 
he he trots up on the hill and turns and and looks back no idea we're really there you know like maybe the first or second doe knew we were there heard us or something and then the other ones are just spooking because those ones spooked and uh he's right across the canyon for us he runs out dan gets a range on him and just puts a perfect shot on him um he gets a quartering away tucks it behind that last rib right up and into that buck and that buck took off 90 miles an hour down the hill so pumped for Dan be able to arrow a good buck like that and um you know make good on his season I I know you know he I I just wanted to 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 see him have some success this season he hunted so hard early and we had so many close calls and close stocks that uh it was definitely his turn but yeah he zipped that buck just like he should and trailed down that buck and um yeah, Dan Dan was able to do it, captured the whole thing for video, which will make this awesome late season film and um took care of that buck and then hiked him kind of close to the, you know, the there isn't a main trail or anything, but the main trail that we use, we kind of hiked him close to that and then um it was getting plenty cold enough, hung him up in a tree so the coyotes couldn't get to him and um we were back to hunting. Um hunting for a buck for me and god, we cruise country and um got way in the heck back in we were backpack hunting and hunting with our packs on our backs and um man i found that that one buck that i would love to kill with my bow and arrow now i don't know if you know he was 190 or if he was 200 but the thing was just a megadon it was just um i saw him through the spotting scope and i said damn we gotta go and we had like an hour left of light so we could have played it where we waited and then tried to hunt him the next morning but he was just feeding out in the evening and I had an hour of light left, and I knew we could get to him. It was a push, but I knew we could get to him and have a good chance to kill him. And he was just feeding there by himself. And so, you know, I told Dan, I said, we got to go. And Dan's such a good hunting partner. You know, here he's killed a buck. He's got to pack back to the trail. And he's just all in with me trying to film this and um, trying to get me a chance and repay the favor. And so we went for this buck way in the heck across and um, got in there and, Gosh, we were just searching for him in its last light, last 15 minutes of light, and we catch him. He had worked over into a sagebrush basin to the right and bedded down, and somehow, I, I was glassing that basin on the way up, but somehow I missed him, and he stood up, and we we worked away and played the game with him a little bit, but 100 yards is as close as we could get. Next day, we go out looking for him again, trying to find him again, and just couldn't turn him up. Turned up another pretty nice buck, but um, gosh, I really wanted to find that big next level deer just just couldn't find him you know he disappeared um you know just a little bit of pressure or the start of the rut they can just be gone and um but you know how cool is that to get a chance at a buck that size you know during general season um just it's just crazy like um so fortunate so fortunate that we all have this opportunity but yeah he's a great buck that i you know i've worked for 15 years out there to try to get an opportunity at a buck like that but uh just wasn't in the cards we couldn't turn him up again and pretty soon we're at the end of our trip and we look for that buck the rest of the trip and we gotta start hiking our way out and so you know i'm you know (laughs) at the time when i saw that buck it was like man I'd, i'd do anything to kill him i just gotta put all my effort into it but after we couldn't return him up you know, we weren't going to get that buck. We started hiking back out. Dan says, oh, we might spot one on the way out. And I'm thinking, yeah, right. Uh, you know, nothing like that or nothing, you know, that I'm looking to shoot big, heavy, older deer. And that's just pessimistic. I, you know, I shouldn't be that way, but it's, you know, it's, 
it's it's kind of like well we're hiking out i didn't i didn't get a chance at a buck but the whole trip was a success dan arrow in that buck we got it on film like we did it we 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 got one of them like i actually didn't need to kill another buck it was like i was only going to kill one if it was a giant but um we had accomplished what we came in to do and we got one out of the deal and so you know we're good to go like uh i'm pumped he's pumped we're just hiking out and now we we got a million miles to make it out Oh, and two, we got a big storm coming in that's going to mud up the roads and we might not make it out. And there's like all this, you know, there's there's all these layers to these stories, too, when you're in there, layers to the to the to the pressure. And um, so anyways, we start hiking out and we get to this vantage point and uh, gosh, I, Dan just, you know, does what he does best looking through his glass and just picks out this big bodied mule deer. And he goes, God, that looks like a big buck. And I said, oh, good spot. Uh, good work. Let me get the scope on him. And I get the scope on him. And he's a giant buck. Just this um, great dark horned, out past his ears, maybe 26, 28 wide, and then just giant backs, which always get me going. Like his G2s have to be 20 inches or 22 inches. His G2s are so tall, just such this tall, dark horned buck. And he's by himself. So we watch him for a little bit. And then he beds down. And, and he beds like over top this ridge and the last group of trees, just the perfect spot. And, um, you know, wind's a little bit dicey, but I think I can get a good crosswind. I just can't go too far down on the ridge, um, or he's going to wind us. And so we work our way all the way around this buck, takes us a while, come in to where we think he's at and, um, come over the hill and, uh, come over the hill and then I can see his horns down there and he's at 27 yards. <laughs> he is close. And, and we're right on the ridge line, and he's 27 yards, and I can see his horns, and he, he wouldn't ever look away from us. And he's in one of those dugout beds that's so deep down in the sage that you could hardly get a shot at him. But I figured if his horns looked away from me, then I'd draw my bow, and I would come up and try to shoot him right in his bed. But we're 27 yards, and he's either looking in our direction or to our left the whole time. And the the wind is kind of like kind of right to left but over the ridge and so we're really cheating the wind and it starts to get gusty and so we sit there it's so so tough to sit still it's just uh it's amazing how difficult it is just to sit still and I wanted to make sure I had a good range I was ready to shoot the buck Dan's over my shoulder at one point I motioned him to get a little bit more behind me so when that buck stood up he didn't see our silhouette able to kind of make moves and we sat there for 45 minutes and we're right skylined on this ridge over the top. So like I, I told, told Dan, I said, you know, and with my mouth covering, kind of whispering, you know, towards him, I said, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to just get down over this ridge and in the sage. So he doesn't see my silhouette when he stands up. Once I get there, you follow me there. And so this is after, you know, and you, all these thoughts go through your head while you're sitting there. It's like, can I circle around? Can I get a shot from higher on the ridge? Should I come in from a different area? Should I wait? Should I try to throw a rock? Which I'm not a rock thrower. I'm a, I'm a patience kills the buck kind of guy, but you know, the wind was a little dicey. And so, you know, I, I feel that wind swirl and I go around and nothing from the buck and just like, God, we're still good. 45 minutes. We kept that wind good. And I made this move to move down just to get myself off the skyline. So, you know, the buck was going to be at 25 instead of 27, but I'm close. But I know what I can get away with, and I'm super silent. Well, midway through my move, that buck explodes out of there. 
And we replayed it and went through that scenario a million different times. There's just no way that buck could have seen me moving through the sage. I mean, I could barely see his horns and I ducked down below that. Like there was no way he caught movement through that sage. You would have seen Dan before he saw anything on the ridgeline or would have seen us up there for 45 minutes. He couldn't see us. I could only see the tips of those G2s that were 22 inches long. So I know he didn't catch me movement. I know he didn't hear me. I was silent as you could be. And um, I think it was just, I think it was a coincidence. I think he winded me at that exact time where I was moving that yard or two to get off the skyline and kind of get in a better position for when he stood so I could be more patient on my shot because it almost seemed like he was going to stand up and be quartered towards me. And I wanted to be able to just sit there uh, quiet and still and then let that buck, you know, put his head down or look away or start feeding and then shoot him. And, um, I think it's just a coincidence. I mean, we replayed it every way from Sunday and there's just no way that buck could see me move. There's there's no way that buck could hear me. And then also if a deer hears you, he stands up out of his bed and looks your way. Or if he catches movement, he stands up and looks your way. The only time a buck ever just blows out of his bed like that is when he wins you. And, uh, so I'm sure that wind was blowing and quartering over that ridge and then swirling. And I think he just caught some of our wind at that exact moment when I was moving. And he blew up. We took chase, saw him down in the burnt timber, no shot. And uh, he, he boogered out of there. But a uh, great dark horn, big muley. So, so thrilling. 27 yards for 45 minutes waiting for the shot and just didn't come together, man. That's just bow hunting just the way it is, but still so stoked. Dan got it done. You know, we swing back by, grab Dan's meat, pack out the rest of his buck. And then we're in for one of the worst driving conditions I've ever been in. Like, uh, it was a two man bobsled. It was gnarly. Um, I think I, I think we saw nine or 10 wrecks on the way home, five or six jackknife semis. It was just crazy. Uh, I stopped and we had breakfast, um, with Dylan. He lives in Billings and kind of told him the story and showed him Dan's buck. And so that was pretty cool. But yeah, that, um, should take me about seven hours to get home or so. I think we drove for 12 hours to get home. Uh, I mean, a lot of the time, 35 to 45 miles an hour, but it had rained and then froze and then snowed and then hard pack on top of that. So I mean, it was just an inch of just absolute glaze ice. And there was no way I could get my tires to touch the highway anywhere. There was no pavement showing anywhere. It's just all ice. Trucks jackknifed everywhere. You know, people out of control. It was just gnarly. And, um, you know, and it, it was our own fault. It's just like trying to be a weekend warrior. You're just up against that stuff sometimes. But, you know, I think I would have chose or safer... <laughs> A safer way to get home would have been to wait a day or two, let it melt and come home or come home a day earlier, which meant we would have had to give up a day hunting, which is always tough for me. And we were out there, we were weighing all our options of what we had to do, making sure we can get my truck out of the gnarly road that we're in, making sure that we can, you know, make it home on the highway or whatever. But yeah, oh, so I had, I had two close calls. My first close call was heading out of there, and it's a paved road. You can do 60 miles an hour, but it's snowing like those big chicken feathers, like those really big snowflakes where you can't see with your brights on, but you so you got to have your dims on. And the, the road still, it's not icy at this point where we're at. It's, it's pretty dry pavement, so, you know, you can kind of haul ass on it or whatever. You know, you can do 50, 60 pretty safe, even though it's snowing. And so I'm flying down the highway, and, and it's, um, it's dark. Uh, what? Let's see. Oh, we, we ended up getting out of there in the dark 
but we were so exhausted from all the miles we had done that we, you know, we could have started home that night, but we wouldn't have made it that far an hour or two before I would have had to lay down and go to sleep. So we just ended up sleeping there that night. And then about four in the morning, it started pouring down rain and started hitting the tent. And it was like, if it rained too much, we couldn't make it out of where we were in. That gumbo would set in and we wouldn't make it out. So so we loaded up our tent in the middle of the night, threw everything in, and then got out of there at like four in the morning. So anyways, I'm driving down this highway at 60 miles an hour with chicken feathers falling down everywhere, these big, huge snowflakes. And all of a sudden, there's a black cow right in the middle of my lane, just all of a sudden. So an evasive maneuver to slam on the brakes and swerve around this cow and I get around it and get back on the road. Dan goes, God, that made my heart flutter a little bit. I said, yeah. So that was, that was pretty close. And, um, actually it didn't get, you know how, when you almost get in a wreck, it gets your adrenaline going and it just pulses through you. I didn't get that on that cow. It was just, it happened so quick and, um, felt pretty safe in the evasive maneuver. And so it wasn't a big deal. We're back on the highway going said I told Dan I said yeah Jesus I didn't even get the adrenaline rush from that one so we keep cruising and it's kind of intermittent snow and then we hit a part of the highway you know at the start and the highway was icy the whole way but right at the start of it it's like not raining or snowing and you know it's it's like the road's dry like it's fine you know you can just cruise you can be doing 70 80 miles an hour And so, you know, I'm on the highway, I think speed limit's 80, so I'm going 80, I don't have my cruise control on or anything, it's kind of watching for changing conditions, and it is getting colder, and I'm pretty good in this stuff, everybody's, you know, we're we're just cruising down the highway, making good time, and God, I go around this corner with a bridge, and I hit that little bump in that bridge, and my truck is sideways at 80, like all of a sudden, it's just turned to black ice on the highway, And it's like all of a sudden, and so I'm like sideways in the highway doing 80. It's like, oh my God. And I'm able to get it under control, not over counter steer. That one got my adrenaline going. (laughs) It's like a heart is beating through my chest, surging with adrenaline. It was like, man, that was close. I do not like that stuff. And then it just turned to ice the whole rest of the way home. Like I say, it took us 12 hours to make it home safely. And it was just keeping her straight trying not to wreck the whole time trying to watch out for semis and other people driving and oh just a nightmare traveling but you know sometimes in the late season that's what you get we did make it home another wreck on my home highway semi stopped in the middle of the road and two cars that had wrecked and um just glaze ice we start to slow down and we're sliding around oh my gosh it's just one of those times where i thought you know i should probably put studs on my truck just have a set of winter tires that have studs it helped it just grips so much on those icy conditions. You know, it's not like snowpack where you need it. And I've always drove a truck without studs. Like, it, you know, it's basically just slow down, you know, your or increase your stopping distances, slow down to, you know, I always want to be going the speed that I'd want to go off the highway at, but it's just slowing down, being in more control. But that some of that glaze ice stuff is spooky, you know, and that's what we were driving on where... I didn't get studs. I think I'll continue to run rubber, but I did think about it after that trip. So uh, we make it back safe and sound. Dan got his buck, which is just killer. And um, yeah, now I, you know, I'm just dwindling days, weekend warrior, trying to get my work done and just trying to get back out there and try to get one of those mature bucks for myself. And so um, I had to get my dad out this season. Uh, it's a it's a big part of my season, helping family and friends. And um, my dad loves to hunt deer. He hunts them with his rifle. Um, but, but my dad loves to hunt. He's the one who, you know, 
gave me this gift of hunting and he's always been super passionate and loves to go. And so, you know, I, he's finally got all his stuff taken care of and it's starting to get peak rut. And so I start planning a trip and it's me and dad and we're going to take off out there. So we get some more work done scrambling on this foundation. I worked through the weekend so we could get out of here pouring the the walls and getting those set and poured and and um so guys are going to finish setting up the slab for us and so me and dad are able to sneak out for a few more days and so fun to be able to team up with my dad like I say he loves it. And uh so we get out there and start hunting and we're not going to backpack into these spots. Um we're going to hunt some different locations and uh we're going to truck camp and um, have a, a warm tent and stove and, um, and, and then day hunt out of a lot of these places. So as much as I love to backpack, you know, and my, my dad can do it and can backpack anywhere, but it's also enjoyment of the hunt, enjoyment of spending time with my dad. And, you know, I don't want to ditch him on the hunt. I want to hunt with him and be back with him hanging out at camp and, you know, help him be successful too. And so we start hunting together and it is good. We're, um, the rut is just peak rut. God, it's just, it's just as good as it gets. And, and actually, there isn't much hunting pressure. One sec. So there's not much hunting pressure. And like I say, I have a network of these spots that I've learned over the years that I've scouted. I just spent so much time out there. And, and that's one of the things that hunting with a bow has given me is the, the gift of being unsuccessful. So, you know, like being unsuccessful with my bow or having it be this great challenge, I end up making multiple trips out there every year. Like, look, this is my fourth trip out, you know, to, to mule deer country to go learn and, and absorb information. And so, you know, that that's part of it is that, you know, um, I, I have to continue to hunt because it is so tough and it is so challenging. And through that, I gain more knowledge and I learn more areas and uh, more places to go and more places that hold good populations and where good bucks can grow up. So, you know, I've got these good places that now I'm able to share with my dad and, um, you know, my dad taking me hunting as a kid and, um, you know, uh, uh, he introduced backpack hunting to me and, Gosh, our old backpack days. I may have talked about it, but we packed Cokes in to drink and ding-dongs and ho-hos and all kinds of just sugary stuff. We just didn't know any better. Uh, pack with the old, um, uh, with the the hard, the, what am I trying to say? Like the, the backpack, the frame packs, full frame backpacks. And um, But it was so cool. We'd go into the spot in the meadows in Washington and backpack in as a kid and hunt for blacktails and, and hunt for elk and um, you know, my dad was just so passionate through life and always included me in all these plans, like being a young man and, and taking me in these places and really hooking me on, on hunting and backpack hunting. And, you know, he, he's really the driving force behind it. And so for me to be able to share these really good spots and this really good hunting with my dad just means the world. And we, we just had a great trip. It was full rut. I mean, we're passing up bucks left and right that are rutting these does so hard, multiple bucks, and just picking them out through the scope and through the binos. I've got that new set of six-hour 15s. Those things are a game changer. Tripod those up. Let my dad use those and pick out deer with those. And just seeing a bunch, we're just having a ball. And then um, I decide I'm going to go back into this area that I like that, you know, it it it's normally a backpack spot, but I'm just going to go in and day hunt it. It's like one of my true advantages is being in the kind of shape and fitness I'm in that I can go in there and hike two hours in, hunt for a couple hours and hike two hours out. I think I ended up doing 15, 16 miles that day and a couple thousand vert. But, you know, that's my advantage being in good shape is I can cover country like that in the peak rut. 
and uh, turned up some bucks, didn't turn up any shooters, and left dad in these couple drainages that were really good. They were just full of does, full of bucks in there. And uh, sure enough, I get a text about four o'clock or so, and dad says, buck down, you know, and he had killed a real nice three by four, like wide frame buck and made a perfect shot on it and dropped it. And he was stoked. And he, he, uh, uh, quartered the whole thing, packed the whole thing out. I was a couple hours away from getting from him to him when I got the text. And so it took me a while to get out and I got out. Um, I was hiking back to the truck and he was making his last load out and, uh, he'd killed a nice buck with his rifle. I'm pumped for him, man. It's so cool to, to see him enjoy himself. And, um, he loves to deer hunt and, and just to, again, to be able to share the whole experience with him. And I hunt with him every year and some years more than others. And, um, I was bummed this year. I wasn't able to get him out for archery elk cause he loves that as well. Uh, but this late season rut hunt, glad that we were able to hook up for a few days and go out hunting. And so he kills this nice buck and, um, really the trip's a success and, and my season's a success. Um, but it, it's just, um, you know, I still got a tag in my pocket and I've still got my bow and arrow and it's like, well, we're not going to go home yet. Like, let's just, um, let's search around, see if we can't find a big mature one. And, um, man, did we catch it? I mean, um, next morning we started hunting this spot and instantly from the vantage point, I spot a pretty good four and he's right on the line and he's got good fronts, kind of weak backs, and he just goes over this hill, and he's in the perfect spot to kill him. And I just think, no, it's it's just not quite the buck I'm looking for. You know, I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold off. And then all of a sudden, I catch another buck, and he's over to my left and kind of behind us. And uh, he's he's wider than his ears, good four-point rack, older deer, big body on him. Like, you can tell he's four or five years old. And uh, so I'm all in. So all of a sudden, I'm playing the game, and... I'm down on this buck and I'm trying to cut him off. He's moving through. So I'm trying to get in front of him and I do, I get in front of him, but then I feel like I, I just want to get over the hill and check where he's at. Cause I don't know if he's coming right at me, if he's going to come to my left, come to my right in that draw. And so I need to get eyes on him again so I can readjust and then put the final moves on this buck to kill him. And right as I'm trying to get over the hill, I see him coming and he's walking right at me. So I I duck down. I don't even have an arrow knocked or my release on yet. So I knock an arrow release on. He doesn't see that. And I'm crouched on my knees and I'm trying to get as low as I can get. But I'm like in golf course grass. Like the grass is a quarter inch tall. And here I am, this humanoid trying to hide from this buck and I can't move. And he's walking right at me and um, kind of walking, um, I guess, to the left of me. So he is going to give me a good broadside shot if he can just get it. And um, he gets to like 30 yards and then he sees me knelt there in the grass. And, um, so, so my only move at this point is to try to draw on him and see if he'll let me get away with it. And so I start to draw, I mean, he's 30 yards, so close and I get drawn back. I get to my anchor and I just start finding his body and then he, he blows out of there. And so he blows out and spooks and I kind of make a move around him the next hill and I catch him and he's like 90 yards or, um, close to a hundred yards there. And, and, um, so I, I wait for him and he makes it over the next one. I kind of make some moves. He disappears from me and he's gone. No big deal. It's just an awesome stock, awesome opportunity. So we just keep hunting and um, we cruise out and we're cruising down this ridge line. And then I catch this this other deer. Maybe who knows who caught it? My dad or me or somebody glassed it up. But um, it's a buck chasing a doe and he's a good one. He's um, he's got a sticker on his side and nice heavy dark four and uh, he's rutting this doe and then I see another buck with him and he's trying to keep in between this other buck and this other buck 
you know, I can't tell which one's bigger at this point, but he's really tall and heavy. And he's a gnarly buck. And I tell dad, I said, you know, those are both really good bucks. I said, I, if I get a chance at either one, I'll, I'll put an arrow in them. I said, they're both big, mature, five-year-old or older deer. I'm going to go try to make something happen. And uh, so I circle around him, make this good move on this buck. And um, initially, I'm after the, the target buck that's rutting this doe with the sticker on him. And, um, so I get over there, I work around with a good wind and I come over the ridge and gosh, I've just got him in the perfect spot. The buck's 75 yards from me. The doe's about 60 yards and kind of work in my direction. And so I'm waiting for this buck to work up at me and I sit there for 15, 20 minutes and never give myself away. I'm on the ridge. I've got a good wind and I figure this buck's going to work closer to me and give me a closer shot. And about then that doe turns and, you know, it's just this spastic rut where, you know, she wasn't spooked. She didn't win me. She didn't see anything, but she turns and starts walking back by the buck the other direction. And so now they're working away from me and he's getting farther and farther. And so I've got to circle around again, get this time. It's, it's not, you know, the wind was really good on the ridge, but it was kind of like right to left, almost cheating that crosswind. Like I was on that, that big G2 buck. I felt really safe with it, almost safer than the G2 buck, but now I'm able to circle around and get the wind perfectly right where it's blowing from the deer to me. And um, I get back and and they're just out there a ways still. And so then I circle all the way around the next ridge over and come up the bottom of the draw, but my wind's really good. And I get up there and I catch that doe and I catch that that buck and he's right behind her and he's tailing her and Gosh, they get out there and um, I get a good range on them and um, get ready to shoot this buck. And um, so as I'm getting set up or I'm I'm getting drawn back and I'm trying to get ranges on these deer, that, that doe kind of picks me up. Uh, she's on high alert. Now the buck's on high alert looking in my direction. I get drawn back. I had a good range. Like he was at my max yardage. Like, um, you know, it was like 66, 68. I really like to get him inside 60 and keep playing the game. And and that's probably my lesson learned on this deal is to continue playing the game. But I have this buck and he's right there and he's in range and with this doe and here's my shot right now. And um, draw back and settled my pin perfectly. Shot broke. And as soon as that shot broke, that buck started to, to turn and roll away from me. And I think, oh no, you know, I know that arrow's in the air. And, and you know, I, I end up, he jumps the string, I end up missing him, and um, God, I'm just, you know, just beside myself, I just had this buck, and here I get this shot, and I, I truly believe like one in three or one in four mule deer will, will jump my string, and a lot of times the arrow gets there before they have a chance to move that far out of the way, um, but this buck was a step or two out of the way by the time the arrow got there, um, so he rolled and turned, arrow whizzes by him, air ball he takes that doe and they start cruising this sage flood and now they're spooked now i've shot them now it's a it, it's a done deal so i try to keep with them for a little bit and try to cut them off and make a couple moves and um nothing he ends up getting away and um they actually end up getting on private on me you know and um crossing the private fence and so i can't even chase them any longer you know and like, God dang, that was so exciting. That was so thrilling. How did I miss that thing? Or I know how I missed it. The buck turned and rolled. And, you know, like like moving forward, like how do you, gosh, you can do everything right and that deer can move at the end. You know, I guess it's trying to quiet the setup down, but, you know, that bow I have is so quiet. You know, it could maybe go with some heavier arrows, but my arrows are already 450. 
and I've been playing around with some heavier arrows. I mean, they do quiet down the bow a bit, but you know, it's just that still morning air and and then the, the doe pick me up they're on high alert looking my direction and the minute they hear that sound they react you know and um it, you know if i would have been closer he wouldn't have had a chance to dodge the arrow the arrow would have got there before he would have made his move and when i say mule deer jump your string they're not quite like a white tail or like an axis that'll actually duck down to kind of load their legs to bounce out of there and so they actually duck below the arrow uh, what a muley will do is usually spin or react at the sound of the bow before your arrow gets there. And I have pretty good luck with mule deer, but I do find that, that one and four will react to the sound of my bow before the arrow gets there. And, and sometimes it's can be them being alert or onto my presence, but heck, I shot a, a bedded buck one time that um, I was shooting at him in his bed and as I shot, he reacted to the shot and tried to get out of his bed. My arrow ended up hitting him low in the brisket. And, and, uh, I was closer on that shot, but, you know, so they can react even if they don't know you're in the country. It's just, it's just mule deer being wired for danger and for avoiding mountain lions. And it, it just is what it is. Like sometimes you can do everything right and still come up short. And that's what it was on that buck. But I don't have too much time to think about it. You know, it's just, I got to react. I tried to tail the buck, tried to get another shot. Didn't work. And um, so I, I I start heading back or whatever. They cross onto private. I start heading back. And then I catch that satellite buck. And that satellite buck, I think, is bigger than the sticker buck I was chasing. I see him, and he's so tall and then so bladed and heavy. I think, gosh, I'd be stoked with that buck. Well, that buck is following the exact same scent trail that that doe and buck just left on. So he's down that same trail. So I'm able to make a quick move, couple quick moves and then cut this deer off. Now it's same, it's this big sage flat. And again, it's tough to get close. So I get pretty much the same shot on that buck as I had on the other buck. This time a few yards closer, like 64, 63, something like that, which is inside my wheelhouse. It's on my, you know, it's definitely my max yardage that I want to shoot at something. But, you know, hunting this open sage in this open country, sometimes it's the shot I get. And so yeah, he gives me, I get a, get a range on him and then, um, I draw back and he continues to walk and he's just like, he's a rutting buck that doesn't want to stop. And so I kind of give him a, you know, and he, he stops and I'm at full draw and able to settle my pin, execute a perfect shot, shot breaks. And it's like, um, you know, I know where my pin was at when, when the, when the shot broke, I executed a perfect shot. It was right in the middle of the the vitals, the shot broke. I, I know it's a dead buck. And, and then I lose the arrow in the air and then I hear it whop him and I hear it hit him solid. And he takes off a hundred miles an hour. And I don't see where the arrow impacted at, but I know my shot broke correctly. And I know I heard a good sound and I know he ran like he's a dead buck. So I'm pretty sure that, that this buck's dead, you know, and he takes off in the sage flat and, um, kind of takes off around the vantage point or whatever. And, um, so I, I give him like 15, 20 minutes and I figure, well, I'll go up and I'll find my arrow and then find the blood trail here. And so I go up and looking for the arrow and blood and just nothing. I just can't find it. I'm in this sage flat. And this is another lesson learned. Like, um, you know, I always talk about like, um, when you shoot at an animal, remembering all the details, which way they ran, where they were standing, how they were standing, where you were shooting from, like all these little details, you remember all those, but I almost like let 
I almost let my guard down because I just really thought I had made a perfect shot. I thought that buck ran out. He was going to be dead in the sage flat right there. I just didn't think, I, I thought it was a perfect scenario. I just, I just, um, so I just lost that focus where I didn't mark the spot where I was shooting. I'm in the sage flat with kind of these rolling hills and ridge lines. So I didn't mark the spot where I shot from. And I just walked up and you know, I shot him at 64 or something like that. I walked up and started looking for that arrow. Well, all of a sudden now I've lost place of where I was standing when I shot. I, you know, and now I've ran so many circles around that area that I kind of know where that buck was standing, but I'm not positive. And so now, you know, it's like, God dang it, where's the blood trail? And I think, well, I'll walk back over to the vantage point. I'll grab my dad and you know, he can help me look for blood and help me find this buck. And so, and like this buck ran towards the vantage point. So like, I think either my dad would have seen him or, um, you know, I'll cut blood on the way over there. And so I walk over to the truck and, um, walk over there and, and, um, try to catch up with my dad. I said, uh, he goes, Hey, did you get anything? And I, did you get him? And I said, well, I, I shot that satellite buck. I, sure. I smoked him. I said, he's got to be dead in this sage flat down below us. You didn't see him run by here. Did you? And he says, no, I didn't see him. He said, I saw another buck up on the hill up there and I said, Oh, okay, well let's go back to the sage flat. We got to turn up the blood trail and, um, he, he should be laying out here dead in the sage. And so we go back and we start looking and we circle that place and I could not find a drip of blood. I could not find my arrow. And all of a sudden, I look up on the hill, and I see this buck with these big backs, this big tall buck up on the hill. And I think, is that my buck? I said, Dad, is that my buck? And I'm trying to look at him with binos and see if he's got an arrow in him. At this point, like it's an hour and a half, two hours later since I shot him. If he's still alive and moving that good, like I, I got some problems on my hands. But he, he, you know, he's right above us, like where the buck ran. And so... I go, well, dad, I don't know if that was my buck or not. I didn't see any arrow in him. He was moving pretty good, but let me go up there and see if there's any blood in his tracks. And so uh, my dad walks up there with me and we walk up, look, and there's no blood in his tracks. I can cut his tracks and watch him go over the saddle and nothing. And so I think, well, you know, our, our only choice is to go back behind that vantage point where he was running to, you know, behind where you were looking and see if he ended up in there. I said, well, let me go to this, this vantage point out here and we're kind of on a high point now and I'll just, I'll glass for him and find him. But I mean, if I'm being honest, self-doubt starting to creep in and I'm, I'm thinking, God, did I hit that thing in the hollow spot, like up below the spine, uh, above the lungs or did I, God, did I hit that thing in the guts or it's so weird not to find any blood or anything. And you know, so that self-doubt starting to creep in, but I just keep telling dad, I'm sure I hit him. You know, the shot felt good. Like I, I think that buck's dead out here and I roll out to that vantage point and, uh, I glass down below the vantage point where we were sitting or whatever, um, kind of down and behind like, uh, where we had parked the truck and hiked up on this spot. And, um, I glass down there and then I see him laying down there. He's laying dead in the sage flat, kind of right behind the vantage point. Um, man, it's the strangest deal. So happy though. Such a weight off my shoulders. And, um, God, I, I was, I was starting to get into that self doubt. It's just hoping I didn't put a bad arrow into that thing or something, you know? So, um, but yeah, he was laying down there dead and just a great big, heavy bladed three by four, uh, just, um, you know, one of the better bucks I've shot out there. And, you know, he's a prairie mule deer and he isn't going to score like super huge or anything, but all his tines are so bladed. Tough to get a good angle that shows all his bladed tines. He's narrow and tall. Just a great buck. So thrilled with him. So thrilled it came together. Such a, a relief, a wave of relief over me. And 
high five my dad we were able to share in the moment which is really cool and then um go down and I I reverse track that buck for quite a ways through the sage and he was pouring it out both sides so I mean I hit that thing perfectly double lung two three inches behind the shoulder halfway up the body but he was uphill from me so the exit on the other side was pretty high and um so I just caught that top of the lungs and must have filled that cavity worth of, worth of blood and I mean those broadheads, usually you hit them right, man. It's just, it'd be spraying all over the sage and you'd find that buck in no time. And that buck, I mean, he maybe made it 200 yards and, and expired. I mean, maybe a little bit further than that on a dead run, dead within 20, 25 seconds. And um, reverse tracking that that buck, I wasn't too impressed by the blood trail. I, I mean, it was coming out both sides, but it just wasn't spraying out like a lung hit should be. But I, I mean, I nailed him. I did my did my part and put a, put a good shot on him, but... Um, man, he just didn't, didn't bleed a whole lot, you know, and heck he could have been dehydrated. I know he had a couple puncture wounds from tines in both shoulders. I don't know if he lost some blood there or, yeah, I, I don't know. Uh, I think the high hit had to fill his cavity full of blood, uh, should have bled more than that, but you know, and, um, I've been bow hunting long enough that I just know not, you know, it's not the broadheads, you know, it's, it, it's where you hit them and, um. Yeah, just that buck just did not bleed that much, and we would have found him. That was my next spot to go grid and go look, and um, you know I I went to left until I found that buck because I knew I had hit him right. But God, what a wave of relief! And so, yeah, I was able to close and kill my two thousand twenty buck. I get back, and then Dylan's on a a four day trip, and I get word back that that Dylan killed a good buck. Sent me a photo of that. He got all that on video. Um, so stoked for that guy. He killed a really good buck out there with his bow. Um, such commitment and dedication. So pumped for him. And um, yeah, it's just been been an absolutely awesome season. So I just love chasing these things around. I love the challenge of it. I love being able to challenge myself. You know, this, to be able to get into these remote stretches and then just appreciate the country, the sunrises, sunsets, just the adventure, the whole deal with good buddies, the laughs I had. Um, and then able to close on a really nice buck, man, it just doesn't get any better. Just, um, such a great season. So much fun chasing these things around. So, oh, whoa. So I've gone way over hour and 20 minutes. Um, yeah, I just wanted to tell you guys that my, my late season story, but you know, from here, it's just, um, it's just improving and getting better, trying to, trying to be better in all these situations. Um, better shape, better fitness. I just enjoy the hunts when I'm in good shape, can rely upon my body. And I I had to push it in this late season on a lot of these long night hikes and things. And so, you know, that's good. Always practicing with the bow, the new V3 just showed up and get that thing all set up. You know, as far as this year, that completes my, my year. I still have one more hunt left in January. So, you know, it's back to that, um, e-scouting, the research and, um, and, and also just getting back and spending time with my family as well. Um, you know, I've been really supportive through this whole hunting season, but, um, I've been gone a lot. And so, uh, just trying to take care of my responsibilities, have fun with them. I take them down to Arizona here and we're going to go soak in some sunshine for Christmas break, which will be fun. And, uh, just trying to support my daughters and basketball games and volleyball games and good gifts. Taylor had her 17th birthday the other day and not that, gifts mean anything it's just like a way to to show how much I care or show them it's a special day or you know so um man it's just uh so fortunate to have the the family and support I do and then um 
the time to, to be able to take the time and go hunt these things hard and give it my all and really challenge myself mentally and physically. I am just so fortunate that I have found this bow hunting and have fallen in love with it where, um, it's just all I obsess about. And, you know, it's not all I think about. Of course, I think about other things of work and stress and family and, uh, but, uh, you, you can pretty much guarantee, uh, 365 days a year. There's some thoughts that roll through my mind and, um, it's every day putting in that work to get better. And I love that. I love that I can continually improve and get better. There's more out there for me. There's more opportunity. And I love that these, this great hunting exists all over the place. And I've thought about it too, like, like killing that good bull this year or killing this buck. And, and there's so many guys out there that are going so hard right now that are putting on the miles and elevations, the same miles and elevation that I am. Heck, maybe even more, maybe even more days, who knows? But there's so many guys out there working really hard. And I pride myself on my hard work, you know, that I put into this, but it's like, um, there's all these different skills that have to go in that, that, that make that make up a, a, a bow hunter, you know, and it's, you know, I was thinking about it, like all these guys going so hard and I'm going so hard, like, why am I seeing this success, you know, and it, it is a combination of all these skills. It's a combination, you know, of not only my fitness, which is a huge part of it, but also my shooting and being able to rely upon it. I say that as I just missed a, a good buck and then ended up airing this buck, but I can really rely upon my shooting. I know I can make that shot. I know I can be clutch in the moment, you know, and I've done it over and over again. And I can rely upon it. And part of that confidence comes from practicing every single day, learning bows inside and out. But, you know, it's not just the shooting. It's not just the fitness. It's also the e-scouting. Uh, it's the research, it's the, the, the decision-making, it's instincts, it's like all these things collectively make me the bow hunter I am because there's guys that are hunting just as hard as me that, that don't see the success that I see. And there's guys that can shoot better than me that don't see the success I see. Um, there's, there's guys that have better hunting spots that don't have the success that I have. Like it's the difference is the combination of all these skills. And it's, it's really trying to work you know, not only on, on, you know, what I'm good at, but also what I'm bad at to try to improve it. And, um, you know, also just like that, that, that being able to endure that mental strength, that toughness, that, that being able to go every free day I have, like every day that I'm out there putting out maximum effort, uh, not getting discouraged, not getting discouraged by seeing other hunters or not getting discouraged by not finding animals, just having this higher belief that I will find animals. I will find critters. I will get a chance. I will create a close encounter, but it's really like this combination of all these skills and mental toughness that's wrapped up into this, this bundle. And then, you know, and then being clutch, being able to seize opportunities. When you find a big critter, being able to close on them and make your best stock and make, like you only get one chance to kill this buck. When you locate a good buck or any of us, if when I locate a good buck, you know, it's the moves I make that are going to dictate whether or not I get a shot at this buck and whether or not I kill this buck. And so making those really good decisions and having those good instincts that have been honed, you know, over dedicating my life to bow hunting over the last 20 years, like I get to draw upon all that. And, and, um, when I'm able to draw upon it and I'm able to seize opportunities when I find a big bull or when I find a big buck and it doesn't happen with everyone I find, I'm not going to kill everyone I I locate like, um, you know, their, their instincts are so keen. These older animals they are going to win sometimes, but, 
um, I've got a lot of confidence that, you know, I'm going to be able to move in close and pick them out first. And I'm not going to make these huge mistakes that then, um, you know, jeopardize my opportunity at this animal. Like I'm going to take what they give me, use the landscape and be able to close in. But I just love how, um, it's like this ever evolving practice. Like, um, I can still continue to get better. I can be better. I can work harder. And uh, that's exactly what I want to do in the off season. It's when I'm at my happiest is when I'm really working hard towards my goals and uh, then having the time hunting season to cut myself loose and just go all in. And uh, that's, that's really what this late season was. It was just able to cut myself loose, able to get some days and make the most out of it and um, see some absolute epic hunting. And it's out there for all of us, you know, not just here in my home state, but I run into it traveling all around to different states, different units, different species. There's still great opportunity out there for us, guys. It's just like improving our skill set and getting better at our craft. And and these animals just start to fall. Um, so I'm pumped. I got a full freezer, got that, that deer all butchered up. And um, man, that closes out my season. I got that last hunt in January, but that closes out my year. And uh, it's just been incredible. So thanks, thanks for you guys for coming along on the ride, uh, listening to my hunting story or listening to my late season and um, always giving me such good support. So I appreciate you guys, appreciate the podcast and um, you guys supporting it. And uh, with that, that's a wrap. I'll check in with you guys next week.